This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and this week we're joined by David and Brady. Gentlemen, uh, coming up on Thursday this week, we have the Arkansas State Red Wolves. Panthers will travel to Arkansas to face them. And coming off of a bye week, there's a number of things we could be looking at. What do we think? Well, let's start with just kind of the context, the setting the stage for who is Arkansas State. So in 2020, as of this week, Arkansas State is two and two and oh and one in the Sun Belt, having lost two weeks ago to Coastal Carolina in Conway. And their last game, they won 50 to 27 over FCS Central Arkansas. And I guess the most notable thing that's happened for them this year is that they won 35-31 over Kansas State in Manhattan to get another Big 12 win as teams continue to make a run for joining the Big 12 from the Sun Belt. (laughs) Um, Coach Blake Anderson is in his seventh year in Jonesboro. He is 49-31, and and Georgia State is all-time in the the games between these two teams arkansas state leads the series five to one but the one win for georgia state came last season when georgia state won at home 52 to 38 um as for the players on the team uh the notable things to know uh they run a two quarterback system namely logan bonner and lane hatcher and they split time every other series between those two guys pretty much on the dot. Uh, The offense remains largely the same. And the biggest focal point for the offense is their two big wide receivers, Jonathan Adams and Oklahoma transfer Dahu green. And then another guy to watch is Brandon bowling in the slot. And then on the defensive side, Justin rice is a linebacker and a Fresno state transfer. And he already has nine and a half tackles for loss and four sacks on the year. So that's the one guy to circle to make sure you know where he is on defense. And with with that, that said, yeah, with that said, um, what are your initial thoughts on this game, David? That was a lot, um, <laughs> but so I think we can start just with kind of what Arkansas State has done so far this year. Um, and I, I know you asked what I think about upcoming game, but I want to look at first what they've done so far this year because I feel like the two and two is a little bit misleading. Um, obviously it's great that they beat Kansas state. You know, you want the Sun Belt to look good and play well against big 12 teams or any team really. Um, but then I feel like they didn't play as well as they probably should have against central Arkansas. Um, and I mean, I don't know what to think about this red wolves team based on how they've looked in their two wins and their two losses and their two wins. They've run the ball pretty well. Um, Against Kansas State, they ran the ball well. Against Central Arkansas, it wasn't as good, but, you know, it was fine. Against Coastal and then their loss against Memphis to begin the season, they didn't run the ball as well. Um, And I think, obviously, we, you know, we come on here and we talk about coach speak and all that, but I truthfully think a big part of what Georgia State has been really successful with this year is how they've been on third down. Currently, even though they've only played two games, Georgia State has the best third down conversion percentage in the Sun Belt. 
for, for, and that's on defense. It's right around 26%. And part of why Georgia state has been so good on third down is simply because they're forcing, they forced Louisiana and they forced ECU. Sorry, sorry. They forced Louisiana and they forced ECU into long downs and distances. And that is easily the recipe for what Georgia state wants to do against Arkansas state. Now, one caveat is Arkansas state is not necessarily a prolific running team. So you could argue that they're going to want to throw all over Georgia state, which is true. And that's fair, but I feel like Georgia state secondary has earned the benefit of the doubt through a couple of games so far this year to say that they can make plays when they need to. It's definitely going to be the biggest test for the, the secondary, just because it's a passing game, but really just the defense in general, because as far as both quarterbacks, as I mentioned, there's two quarterbacks, it's pretty much the same offense with a lot of downfield throws. They're looking to get after and test the secondary. Um, but far from, I guess, maybe the initial thought that it is it a, the onus being on the secondary, the thing Coach Elliott singled out this week is what is important for stopping this offense is getting to the quarterback and making them uncomfortable. And so I think that that might be where we we have seen, we saw success last game. ECU, Ehlers was running almost every down. Every time he was dropping back, it felt like there was someone in his face and the running attack was getting stuffed. 50 on the day, as we talked about last time, it really wasn't even that much because 31 of those yards came on a fake field goal. So if they can just cut and paste what they did on defense into this game and, you know, pack that on the bus to Jonesboro, the team could be in a good place to win this game, which getting right on the right track in Sunbelt play, you know, beating ECU is great, but the wins in conference are what matters. And so Georgia State's going to want to get that first win in conference. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we talked about Louisiana and App State coming into the season, but this is potentially a really good opportunity for Georgia State to get good conference win. Um, the Sunbelt West is probably a little bit less competitive than the Sunbelt East um, in terms of teams that are, you know, pushing towards eight or 10 wins in a normal season. But I, I feel like given the schedule cap, probably like eight or nine this year. Um, but this is a good opportunity for Georgia state. The team that until last year had won every time against Georgia state, they were five and no coming into the game last year. And so you can get a two game winning streak going against a good Sunbelt team. Uh, pulling up the numbers right now. Yeah. Every year Blake Anderson has been at Arkansas state. They've been a bowl team. And so this is a team that you want to start getting on the good side of and start winning games against because it starts to show that you are making that step instead of just, oh, you beat, you know, this team who isn't as good or you racked up some wins in non-conference and that helped you out. Going on a two-game winning streak against Arkansas State is a statement of sorts in the Sun Belt. Um, and I guess while we've started to talk about the defense, I feel like this is probably the time to work in a listener question we got from Carlos and it was, who do you think will be the key players on defense to stopping their receivers? We talked about Adams and green and bowling as their receivers. And we've talked about how this will be a test for the defense. And who do you think are the key players or the key player singular that it's going to come down to having a good day on defense? 
Oof, that's a good question. It's a very good question. Um, I know that this is going to sound a little bit stupid, but I think that the off the defensive line is going to be a little bit more important than the secondary. And the reason I say that is because it did, watching the Coastal Carolina game, it didn't matter if it was Bonner or Hatcher under center. And they both played fine. Um, obviously, it was a blowout, but you know that had much more to do with Coastal than it did with Arkansas State. But both of those quarterbacks, they're not really looking to run the ball. They're definitely pocket passers. And so I think Georgia State's best defensive weapon is going to be Dante Wilson up front, Jeffrey Clark Jr., and any pass rusher that they can muster um, because it'll take a lot of the pressure off of Qua Antavius lane. You know, I think jam will play. I'm not really sure where he's going to play. Um, you said that you overheard that he will play both on offense and defense per yeah, coach. Elliott. This, yeah. This week, coach Elliott teased that I, again, we, we've been hearing he's cleared. And so I guess it's just a matter of when he plays again, but, Coach Elliott said offense and defense and special teams for Jam Williams, the transfer from South Carolina. So he wasn't on the depth chart, but I don't necessarily take everything from the depth chart as like the letter of the law with Coach Elliott. He doesn't always just spell out exactly what he's doing as far as that goes, which is totally his prerogative. So I don't see him not being on any position in the depth chart as, oh, he's not going to play. I'm just going to wait and see how it plays out. Um but that is definitely a new face and a guy who can bring some speed really in all phases of the game. Right. And I, you know, I mentioned him because I'm not necessarily sure that Georgia state will run much um, except their base defense, which is fine. I think it's been working so far this year. Um, if it ain't don't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, but I really, I really think that the defensive line will be, the most important factor with stopping these receivers, because at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do when it comes to covering, you know, offensive players in football, especially wide receivers. They're too good. If you're having to defend them for, you know, six, seven, eight seconds. So if Willis and Wilson and Clark can find a way to, you know, get after both of these Arky state quarterbacks, then that'll be the best weapon that Georgia state has. Yeah, I mean, that matches what Coach Elliott was saying about pressure being the most important thing. Um, I guess just given the nature of the question with key players and the implicit key plays, I will go on the secondary side for this question, and I will say Quay White and Jalen Jones because pressure is going to be important to keeping them off balance and stopping the run is going to be important for keeping them in long downs and distances as you were talking about. But at the end of the day, there are going to be balls in the air that Adams and green have plays on that is just going to be incumbent on a couple of times. The guys on the outside being able to make a play on the ball or jump the route and make a pick or whatever it is. I think that, you know, best laid, plans of mice and men and all that there's going to be times despite the game plan where there will be a a clean pocket for the quarterback who's in and he'll get a chance to throw it and it's gonna come down to some secondary play to prevent the big plays which you know knock on wood in the passing game so far that hasn't really been a problem the passing attacks in both games 
short of a couple of plays where Levi Lewis just extended, 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 got away from pressure. Um, the passing attack hasn't been exploited. There were some big runs in the Louisiana game and not really any big plays on in either the run of the pass game against CCU by the ECO offense. I mean, the defense didn't allow a touchdown, so that kind of makes sense. But that's where I'm, my head is at with that question, um, which we appreciate. And I guess now that we've, we've kind of covered the defense, I guess it's just going to be a matter of containing the run game, not letting them get that going early. The, the team, the Arkansas State's MO is going to be to try and pass it a lot and have a lot of success. And if they try and change up and catch you out and start trying to get the run going early, don't let a team who is not as good of a running team as a passing team beat you that way. Um, and also... You mentioned it. They're not the most mobile quarterbacks. The final thing I'll say is there's been a couple of times where guys have had the quarterback dead to rights for a sack and the guy has gotten past them. And in the first two games, you were playing pretty mobile quarterbacks, but this game, they really shouldn't have that much escapability. So if you've got a guy in your crosshairs for a sack, you got to get Bonner or Hatcher, whoever it is on the ground, get that sack and get off the field. I think that'll definitely be key specifically in this game because I don't think that Georgia state is going to bring a lot of pressure, like in terms of base. Um, Obviously Georgia state is not a wildly blitzing type team, Um, but they, you know, Fuquay has sent five and six guys the last couple of his philosophy is going to want to be, and in general is trying to get pressure without blitzing, trying to get to the quarterback with, or guys usually on plays and it worked so far this season and in years past when it hasn't worked is when the defense has just been really taken advantage of. Um, but you're right that it's not going to necessarily be a bunch of blitzes. Right. Which is fine that, you know, obviously if you're facing a team that wants to throw the ball a lot more, it's kind of the strategy that you want to employ. So moving to the other side, uh, obviously the Georgia state offense made some strides. There was still a little bit of lulls in the offensive game for Georgia state, some missed opportunities to extend drives, which haunted the Georgia state offense in the loss to Louisiana eventually, but didn't come back to hurt Georgia state in their win over ECU. I think that the name of the game for Coastal's win over Arkansas State was that Coastal just totally took control of the ball the entire game, held the ball for over 40 minutes. And historically and in this year, Arkansas State hasn't been a team that's been able to keep the ball. And Georgia State's also struggled in that regard. But last year, Georgia State was a good time of possession team. And there were just times where Dan Ellington would leave the team on like a 13 play six and a half minute drive that gets a touchdown. And it's been what quad has struggled the most with is putting together drives and putting together long drives. But if they can get that facet of their game going this week and pick up where they left off in 2019, I don't know that Arkansas state can match them in type of that type of game. And that can only mean bad things for their defense, just continuing to stay on the field. So it's, it's funny you say that because I think you're correct. Um, but it's weird because especially in the Louisiana game, there were those two incredibly long drives that Georgia state went on both to go up by 14 
early in the first half and then to tie the game in the second half. So it's not like we haven't seen Georgia state put together those long, you know, half a quarter type drives. Obviously it wasn't to the extent that coastal did it. Um, Cause I think they held the ball for, you know, they had two drives in the second half of like eight minutes each or something ridiculous like that. Um, but but it, that is something seen- that, you know, this offense under Brad Glenn is capable of the, the way that the plays are drawn up. It's to get into reasonable down and distances and whether it's through the air or on the ground, you know, third and three, third and four, third and five, that area you're in that spot and you can convert and just move the chains and you can hit them on the big play. Obviously you've got Sam Pinckney out wide for the big throws downfield, but you just kind of keep the ball rolling. And there were some times in the ECU game that the throw was there. The, the receiver was open for a conversion and the throw didn't get there and punt team had to come out. Right. And that's, you know, that's something that Georgia state can't do this week against Arkansas state because they, they don't want to, they don't run an tempo offense, but if you give them more opportunities to score, they will find a way to. I guess the, the final thing I would say on the offense is that, and I guess this is a general thing as well, because it also applies to the Arkansas state's offense is, I think that Arkansas state would be more comfortable with a shootout style game. And I think that they'd be okay if they aren't having to try and have a long extended drives, or they're not having to rely on their defense to bail out the offense. If it's a game where everyone's scoring every drive for the first two quarters, no one's really keeping possession of the ball too much longer. It's pretty even in that regard, or if it even shades in the direction of Arkansas state, if some of those, woes on third down um, that haunted or hurt Georgia state in the second half against ECU continue, then that might be advantage Arkansas state. But if it's a situation where Georgia state is putting together drives, even if the scores are similar, but the discrepancy is there in time possession, that's the formula I think to wearing out Arkansas state's defense and making them get stops when their backs against the wall. All right. So moving on to listener questions, we did have two questions this week, non-sports related, I guess, tangentially, at least. First one is from Mike, friend of the show, asking, what will the food of choice be while watching the game in primetime on ESPN on Thursday? Brady, what you got? I mean, it's football. You got to eat some wings, right? I in seeing this question, I realized how much I just miss all of the collective bar grub I've missed out on eating this year because of the pandemic and just less sports going on. Like it, it really is the perfect marriage, unhealthy food and sitting and watching sports and bars. Yeah, I don't think you'll catch me going to a sit down bar or restaurant inside, uh, at least for the time being. But I am going to have to agree. I really, really love bar food and football and not getting to go to games uh, regularly and not being able to be part of the environment and all the fun there is definitely not fun. But you know what is fun is eating some chicken wings. So that's what I'm going to go get. Uh, there's a place up the street that has some pretty good value on wings. So I'm going to pick some of those up before I watch the boys in blue play on a big boy ESPN thing. I think we all miss almost bar food, but hopefully it'll be back to normal soon enough. Well, speaking of bar food, that goes right into our next question from Bailey, who wants to know what our mixed drinks of choice are. Gentlemen. 
Well, um, I'm sorry, Bailey, we couldn't organically work this into the discussion <laughs> as well as we could with Carlos's question. <laughs> I, I don't know. There are people probably who could do that. Um, we're not there yet. You know, God, that one play drove me to drinking. Speaking of drinking. <laughs> our sponsor. No. Never so the mind. question came up because we had done our fireside chat and there's a stock image we use of like a fireplace and just set the mood of like me and David talking about the Sunbelt drinking old fashions. And yeah, I, so I will say for me, the first thing I'd say is I drink kind of seasonally that I, I do switch between, you know, in the summer months, spring months, you know, clear liquors, all that beach drinks. And in the fall and the winter, you know, more brown liquor, stuff like that. But my go-to is always a gin and tonic. Pretty much any time if I'm going somewhere or having a drink, I'd be down with a gin and tonic. I feel bad because I'm very similar. Um, and I, I do love gin, gins and tonic. Is that the plural form of that? Um, Attorneys general. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but recently, since, you know, the world started shutting down, I got some things to make old fashions and they're pretty good. Um, you know, I used to not like whiskey uh, but i have a newfound appreciation for making my throat turn on fire um and i are they even a mixed drink though like you're yes is it yes. okay it's a cocktail I, okay good I, um, I assumed it was a pretty general like mixed drink is just like any thing with hard liquor and other ingredients Okay. Um, I don't but, know. Yeah, they're super easy to make. You know, they're good summer or winter. Um, and I don't know. I just, I really can't get enough of them. Yeah. And I don't even put an orange peel in yeah. them. Like I should. Well, you got to do that. Yeah, that's that's one of the essential steps. Yeah, that, you, the, uh, the little little bit of sugar. It takes a little bit of the bite out of it. Yeah, I'm not much of a big drinker, but I will not say no to a nice old fashioned as well. But if uh, if I had to pick something. I'm going to go ahead and say like a mojito or something like that. Mojitos. Yeah. Yeah. I I can get behind a nice mojito or uh, really, I think maybe the only thing I wouldn't go for is something with a lot of tequila in it. Yeah. I've never been on tequila either. It's not for me. So the the question, Jordan, is frozen or unfrozen? Frozen or unfrozen what? Mojitos. They make frozen mojitos? Yeah, I have never had one. Really? Oh, you got to. That that sounds uh sounds like an interesting idea for for later. I think if we keep talking about alcohol, at a certain point we have to start paying royalties to the state of Atlanta. (laughs) 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 Well, no, well we didn't we didn't crack beer cans in the opening of the podcast, so I think we're okay. okay. Fair enough. But yeah, yeah. Thanks for the question. A nice departure from some uh, sports discourse. But uh, other than that, I think that's all we've got for this week. So make sure you tune in Thursday night on a big ESPN. That's just ESPN, not two, not three, not you, not the Ocho. Big ESPN. (laughs) (laughs) Watch the Panthers take on the Red Wolves and hopefully walk out of Centennial Bank Stadium with a W. Other than that, guys, that's all we got. We will catch you next time. See ya. 
Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night, or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com. 